Hello and welcome back to episode seven of the We Talk Ball podcast. I am DJ Cadden, and today I am joined by a special guest. I am joined by Ryan Haley. Ryan, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. First of all, I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I guess I'm a student journalism, uh, a student journalist of sports from University of Florida. I uh, worked with the independent Florida, independent Florida Alligator and uh, just, I guess we met through the student media poll and our involvement there. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> and the biggest thing me and Ryan have had in common outside of being student journalists is our passion for golf, which is what we're going to be discussing on today's episode of the podcast. We're going to be previewing the fifth major, the Players' Championship. We're going to give our picks. We're going to look back at some of the other stuff that's happened this season since we haven't talked about golf. But with that being said, let's just get into it. Obviously, this season's been a pretty eventful one. Probably the biggest storyline, at least in my opinion, is all the drama surrounding the Saudi Golf League which is a startup league that is rumored to be starting soon. But we haven't heard much in the last week or so. So I, I know me and you have talked about it, but what are your thoughts on the Saudi Golf League and where that's going? Yeah, I can't tell how – I know originally it was supposed to be mentioned, this, like it was supposed to be kind of – or I guess reportedly it was supposed to be kind of kicked off this week, I think – I think Phil's comments might have accidentally killed it a little bit. Um, but, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's a um, it's a rival golf league that wants to, uh, I mean, through the funding of the Saudi Arabian government and the leadership of Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, I guess, uh, wants to uh, take 48 of the best players on the planet and give them a ton of money to play 10 to 14 events in American soil. And it has kind of been the, I guess, depending on who you ask, I know uh, the No Laying Up podcast has been talking about it pretty excessively for about a year and a half now. Um, and that's kind of been their predominant like leg to stand on there. Um, certain players came out and staunchly said against it. Uh, I know Rory's been against it for over two years now. Uh, John Rahm is against it. Colin Morikawa is against it. Uh, Phil Mickelson's comments, obviously, if anyone who hasn't seen, um, it was basically, so there were a few players that were kind of rumored to essentially be in it. And Dustin Johnson was there. Bryson DeChambeau was reportedly all but signed. And then uh, Alan Schiffnuck uh, repeats some comments from Phil Mickelson, who said that they were uh, quote unquote, scary motherfuckers to work with. And um, that, Phil was trying to use basically Phil said that he was using the Saudis as leverage against the PGA tour. And Phil made a couple comments that were obviously unsavory in my opinion, and kind of whole thing blew up in their face. DJ announced he was out. Bryson announced he was out. Xander, who I didn't really realize might've been in announced he was out in a really weird statement. Um, but so I think that's kind of on the back burner for now, but that's kind of been one of the prominent stories in golf. I guess that's kind of my summary. Am I missing anything? I don't think you missed anything. I don't think Phil could have handled that situation much worse than he did. That apology was just so bad. I mean, he took no blame for anything. It was just yeah. so laughable when you just read through the whole thing. Oh, God. It was it was just so, like, and, and like, 
it was it was very much like a like a four paragraph i'm sorry if you got offended and i was like <laughs> no this, this can't be the route you go here like who advised this um and then did you see greg norman's letter to the pta tour commissioner yes i, di- I didn't read the whole thing but i saw he sent a letter and i i figured it wouldn't I be mean, received first- well he the first line uh, so greg norman obviously like golf great in charge of like helping run the saudi golf league the first line of the letter he sends to pga Tour commissioner jay monahan is surely you jest and i was like are you kidding me <laughs> like, just from the get go this first sentence this letter is already stupid um so yeah i just i uh, and it was the entire thing which again kind of legality of it i guess a little bit craig norman's entire thing is like oh they're independent contractors you can't force them to play and the pga tour and legally their whole approach has always been well if you give them enough money to make it a financial alternative then all of a sudden the legality of that goes away like if the saudi golf league is financially comparable to the pga tour all of a sudden the pga tour does have the right to tell players that they can't play the pga tour if they play the saudi league and so greg norman's entire argument is just kind of working against itself and I don't know. It's it is it has been a saga, and I th- I don't think it's dead. Um, I know a lot of people have been kind of dancing on the Saudi Golf League's grave for the last week or so. Um, I don't think it's quite dead in the water yet. I know there's some guys. I know Jason Kokrak is still pretty much in. Um, I I think it's going to come up and fold quickly. I think they lost a lot of the big names. They're going to wind up overpaying for a lot of like thirty to forty ranked players instead of like the actual guys they needed to bring engagement. But um, yeah, that's I guess kind of long-winded Saudi Golf League. I can't wait for Jason Kokrak just to dominate the Saudi Golf League, just dominate all those people. Yes, it'd be that's, so that's, funny. That's his if he wins like seven of the ten tournaments they play in the league that was under, he, he's gonna make a claim of being the best golfer of all, of all time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now that we've talked about that whole saga, let's just kind of give our recaps of the season. So far, I think it, the the biggest storyline, at least in the in the last few weeks, has been Scotty Scheffler, who hadn't won in his first few years on tour and has won two out of his last three starts in the Waste Management Open and the Honda Class or Arnold Palmer Invitational, which is just so. Mm-hmm. He's always been so good and always been in in contention. He's a guy like Cameron Tringale, who was just always there and just could never win. But he finally broke through, and it just feels like the floodgates are open now, and it feels like he could be on something special this year. Yeah, I mean, that was – the thing with Scotty is eventually, with how good he was at almost every part of the game, really, you would think that eventually he's just – like he puts himself in position so often that it's just going to go his way. And then two times back-to-back it did. And it did against some really stacked fields. I mean, in Phoenix, he beat Patrick Cantley in a playoff and held off Xander Shoffley um, and Sahith Fagala, of course, who is the story of the week. Um, in And then this week at the Arnold Palmer, he holds off, like, I mean, Billy Horshaw probably doesn't get the name recognition, but he's a WGC and a FedEx Cup champion. And he holds off Victor Hovland, who's going to be one of the top five players in the world for the next decade. Like, like Scotty Scheffler beat two stacked fields and, like, bonafide superstars to get the first two titles. Yeah, it puts him in a really good position, I think, going into the players and then in a month, exactly a month from today, going into the Masters. So excited. 
I can't wait. He couldn't be in a better position Mm-mm. going forward. Is also, there anything sneaky about Scotty Scheffler? He's finished top eight in three of the last four majors. I think I saw that because I was because his odds to win a major this year, he's like plus thirty five hundred at the book I look at the book I looked at, which is extremely good value. Robbery. If you ask me. Robbery. Is yeah, there I mean, any this is... Are there any winners you wanted to talk about this year? Um, Looking through the schedule, uh, I mean, obviously, I wanted to shout out, I guess, Ryan Brem's story in Puerto Rico this past week was super cool. Um, He had literally one start on a minor medical exemption from the PGA Tour. And if he finished solo second or better, he got a um, like he would receive conditional membership and he won to receive his full tour card, which is pretty sick. He um, dominated too. Went by like seven yeah, strokes. Seven, yeah, he won by seven, which is sick. Um, uh, I know you mentioned it on Twitter this week. Taylor Gooch is having a pretty decent season. Uh, this is a guy who was a really, really heralded amateur in uh, high school and college, and then kind of came out and didn't really struggle, but kind of just treaded water for a few years on tour. And it feels like he's kind of figuring it out. Um, he really he impressed me more than anyone except maybe Scheffler on Sunday. The shooting forty three on the front nine and thirty three on the back, like just take absolutely taking those first nine holes in the chin and sticking around. Um, And then I think the biggest development for me over the course of this past year is Hideki Matsuyama has kind of become a born killer. Like that guy is terrifying to see on the leaderboard now. I mean, he won the Zozo in his home country, which has to be ridiculously pressured. Um, He went, he does that huge comeback chase down in the Sony open of uh was it uh, russell henley yeah it was russell henley who he chased down that was um, insane i remember watching come, that that was ridiculous that three wood that three wood in the playoff is still the shot Put of the like year. two feet um, oh my god yeah in, into the sun lost that immediately from like 270 <laughs> put the three feet um and you even look that happy um which has always been hideki's uh, signature but even then um i mean phoenix he was like a million back going into the weekend and bucked his head on sunday um I know he was he was kind of hanging around at Genesis and Arnold Palmer too. He didn't really contend. He was kind of playing well enough. And so Hideki really kind of fully realizing the talent that everyone's kind of known he's had, but just kind of been ignoring for the last few years has been a really cool development too. And he's genuinely become one of the best players on the planet. Yeah, I think him winning the Masters was kind of like kind of similar to Scotty, I guess. The floodgates just opened. He started playing just unreal golf. And we've talked about our surprises, talked about stuff like that. But I do want to talk about one disappointment, and you can chime in with yours if you want to. I think Bryson DeChambeau has to be the biggest disappointment this year. Obviously, most of it is due to injury, but we're a month out from the Masters. We're playing the players, and he hasn't he hasn't played at all this year or this season, I don't think, and all that stuff with the Saudi Golf League. Right. It's, I, I just don't know what to yeah, make of it. He might – I mean – He realistically – realistically might not make the FedEx Cup playoffs if he doesn't come back sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just weird with Bryson because it's hard to classify absences of, like, disappointment. But at the same point, like, if he's not playing, it has to be a bit of a disappointment. Like, he's becoming, like, the guy who is the biggest story of 2020 and 2021 in golf has become kind of an afterthought in the last few weeks. And that's because he's not on the course. And the best ability is availability. So, like... It's hard to really like kind of get a gauge on how he's playing if he's not playing. Um, so I, I mean, there are conflicting reports. Like people said that 
at the Saudi Invitational, which is the last tournament he played, that he was telling people he wasn't playing the PGA Tour anymore because he was in with the Saudis. Then he made a statement saying that was wrong. Excuse me. Then he made another statement saying that he was not in on the Saudi Golf League after Phil's comments. Um, he's been dealing with a wrist injury that he said on Instagram was getting better, and then he withdrew from API, and now he's out from the players. And I just really like Bryson's one of those people that like if I'm looking just from a competitional standpoint, I'm fading him until he shows me something on the course. He is clearly hobbled. Uh, he was really kind of hobbling up and down the course at Tory last time we saw him. And the biggest question for me with Bryson has never been whether his play style and his bulking style, for lack of a better word, was ever going to work. It was more so the sustainability of it. Um, was he going to be able to be bulky Bryson as, uh, as we kind of, Chime was was he going to be able to do that for a long period of time? And I didn't really expect it to come this soon. But if his like if his body's starting to hurt, that could be really really bad for a guy whose entire game now is predicated on him being in the best physical condition possible to just hit the ball far. And there are a few, yeah, there are a few more people I kind of wanted to touch on at disappointments. Unless you like have any more in mind, um, but a few guys that come to mind: um, Xander Shoffley, who was the most consistent player on tour last year, has one top ten this season, um, including some small field events. He didn't finish in the top ten at the Hero. Didn't finish in the top ten at the Tournament of Champions. Um, he's still eleventh on tour in strokes gained total somehow, but he's really kind of been pretty quiet for a guy whose like entire mo is I contend every single Sunday, um, and then. Two other guys, Jordan Spieth and Tony Finau. I mean, both those guys were very, very consistent last season and felt like they were knocking on the door every week. And Spieth had that one scare at Pebble when Tom Hoagie ran him down. But other than that, both of them have been pretty invisible this year. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit everything right on the on the head right there. Those have really been the biggest disappointments. Another guy who just hasn't really been playing much but hasn't played well when he has is Paul Casey. He has He's mm. played in five events. He has or four events and he has a top 25 and a top 15. And other than that, he was cut and had finished. It doesn't have his position for the API, but he hasn't been good. But I mean, no, that, yeah, no, that, and it, it stinks too. Cause Paul Casey is like always the chalk pick at TPC. Cause he's just such a good ball striker and so good at avoiding trouble that if he has like any semblance of form, he's like the automatic, like plug and play guy at Sawgrass. And he just, he's just been bad. I feel like he was one of those guys last year that you could just you could pick him to be top twenty and you'd be pretty confident in, in just about every yeah, event. Pencil, he, he was so good last league. year. Mm-hmm. He's he was like that for like a good three four year run. He's just such a good ball striker that his floor is so high. Yeah, that's true. And mm-hmm. now that we have talked about what's gone on this season, the biggest surprises, biggest disappointments, we can move on to the talk of the week, which is the Players Championship. One of my favorite events on tour, the 17th hole was just so much fun to watch. I could sit there and just watch the feet of that hole all day. It's just one of my favorite event, one of my favorite events on tour, and it just never disappoints. What are you kind of looking forward to this week? Um, I guess more than anything. I mean, obviously, being spent over half my life in Jacksonville, I've been to this tournament every single year I really could, um, and. I am super excited to see how it all goes. Um, I love this tournament. I love this course design. I love watching players pay, play this Pete Dye design. I've seen 
uh, a couple players talk about kind of the little subtle, not subtle brilliance and Sawgrass's design. I think it's one of, if not the most well, well designed course they play on tour each year. It's not super fun to play under tournament conditions, but it seems very fair, which I think was kind of the point of top at the point of talking at Bay Hill last week was a, uh, it's fun to watch tour players play a tournament where they have to grind their faces off for four straight days. But when good shots and bad shots wind up in the same spot, it just becomes a bit of a clown show for lack of a better phrase. And I think that was kind of the problem Bay Hill ran into a little bit with the way that course is set up and how those greens turned out and sawgrass, even on the years where it gets super, super hard, it never feels like the players are really frustrated because they know that good shots get rewarded and bad shots get punished. And it's very, very fair. Um, I would say my biggest point besides that is the weather. I mean, it's it's supposed to rain for like from Tuesday to Sunday for mo- most of the day. And the only other year we've really had like that when TPC has been in March recently is 2019. And the winning score was 16 under. So if you it, unless, I mean, they have the sub air design under these greens so they can dry them out if they have to. But you get if you give PGA Tour pros a wet golf course, it's going to play to the longest hitters in the field and it's going to get low guys are going to make birdies. Yeah, this is one of my favorite tournaments to watch because you can just – I just like – just like examine every shot and just like seeing what these guys are going to do. Just wish that one day I could get to half that level of golf. But, yeah, you hit it right on the right on the head right there. I was going to talk about the rain. It is going to create for – or create an interesting tournament. It I think it will go low, lower than usual, which – depending on who you are is a win or a loss, but I think it'll be fun. Yeah. A lot of guys I'm picking are long hitters anyway. So it kind of, it kind of works to my benefit. Um, yeah. I would say, yeah, that, that 2019 year when it got rainy. I mean, if you look at that leaderboard, Jim Furyk finished second somehow, but outside <laughs> of that, it was like, I mean, Rory won, uh, Dustin Johnson finished fifth, Johnny Vegas finished third, like Hideki was there. Like it's a lot of really long ball strikers that, that, that popped out that year. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all if, the, if, if that leaderboard was similar in terms of guys who go long like that this year. And I guess the weather was one of the key storylines. Scotty Sheffer coming in so hot is a key storyline, I think. Is there – we hit it right there. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into our favorites, our picks, our sleepers? I would say, I guess, one kind of thing kind of ties in with Scotty Scheffler. Uh, four guys have a chance to unseat John Rahm for world number one this week. Um, I haven't seen the specific scenarios for Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, and Patrick Cantlay, but I believe if they win, they just become world number one. And Scotty Scheffler has to get a little bit of help and a little bit of gymnastics from Rahm and Morikawa, but they're five guys that could walk away being world number one next week. And that's a really cool place to kind of be in golf. As someone who pushes the Morikawa as the best golfer in the world agenda, this could be a huge week for me. So I am, I would like for him to win so I can just push that agenda a little more aggressively on Twitter. I mean, you're kind of segueing into my pick here a little bit. (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. Well, we'll hold the pick till the end, but I do want to hit on some of the favorites. I'll pull up the odds. So me and you can see them right here. I mean, it's, it's the, it's everybody you expect. Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Rory, Patrick Canley, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, it's the top, like, 10 golfers in the world. And I think, honestly, I think all these guys are going to be top mm-hmm. 10, top 15. I don't think there's going to be much variance, I guess. Is there anybody 
you're looking at mm-hmm. here that it, it just stands out? You think, obviously, I think we know who your pick's going to be. But just looking at these odds, what sticks out mm-hmm. to you? Uh, yeah, I would at least I, – I have not fully penned him in yet, but he's at least my heavy favorite. Um, God, out, of all, out of all those guys below 30 to 1, um, I don't know. It's so hard to fade any of them. Um, I, it's just it's, – TPC is hard because it's such a complete test that you – you can't really throw a dart at a board and be like, okay, well, these guys are good at this and this skill set's going to win this week because like so many different play styles succeed that it's really just depends on who shows up and who's on their game. Um, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into what happened over the weekend at Bay Hill, but if you do, Rory was a bit loose with his ball striking and his irons, which could really lead to trouble at Sawgrass. Um, Xander, we mentioned before, is kind of underwhelmed this year. Um, but those are really the only two things that I really can come to mind. Um, I just – it's so hard to fade. I mean, if you want to go like the like both Scotty Shuffler's coming off a win, maybe the emotions are higher out. But I can't think of anything for any of those guys. They all just have really bulletproof cases, and it's such a hard course to kind of parse between who should and shouldn't play well. Yeah, I think – I mean, I think we're going to see all these guys play pretty high level of golf. I don't think any of these guys are going to necessarily go out there and bomb it. But I guess we'll just group our sleepers and all that – all this into just one really long segment, I guess, just to make it easier. One guy I do mm-hmm. like this week is Matt Fitzpatrick, who's just been oh, quietly, cool. quietly just racking up the top 10 finishes this year. He's so, I don't, I wasn't even, I didn't pay t- much attention to the tournament last year because I was working, but he just crept his way into the top 10 at like one or two under. And he's, he's just been doing it you, his whole career, really. <laughs> you stole a game I wanted to play with you. So Matthew Fitzpatrick this season is second in strokes gained total and he's top 20 in strokes gained off the tee, approach the green and putting. That's absurd. Like, that the dude has been absolutely on a tear. And he's, like, built for a golf course like this. He's such a good iron player. He's so precise. I just – my only lead back with Fitzpatrick, he's gotten longer in recent years, but it's kind of the same thing with him and Morikawa. If it gets wet and it becomes a bit of a bomber's paradise, are they going to be able to keep up? And Fitzpatrick has gotten longer, so I don't think he's inherently ruled out for that, but he is a good sleeper that I love. It's just ridiculous also, to me that he's never won on the PGA Tour. He's just always he's yeah, always there, and he just never won. And he's he's such a good presence in Europe too. Like I don't think he he clearly knows how to win a golf tournament. It just, oh yeah, like, he hasn't balls in yet. Europe. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. And for a guy with a ton of pedigree as an amateur, um, also another really weird one. Um, I is it weird to see Brooks Kepka forty eight to one at this golf like at a big tournament? Because it feels you know, really weird to me. I was going to talk about him. I He is in consideration for my pick to win this week. It's, it's Brooks I mean, Kepka. I think people... it's, a, it's the fifth major. Yeah. Major is going to be thrown mm-hmm. around. Yeah. He's coming off a, a good performance at in his last tournament. He, he played pretty good in Phoenix. I mean, Brooks always steps up for the big ones. He does. And, and I feel like people... one of the biggest ones. 
I feel like people kind of think he's playing worse than he is. Um, I mean, again, you hit the nail on the head. He struck the crap out of the ball at Honda and really kind of just couldn't make a putt, which is pretty volatile week to week. And he nearly won Phoenix. Um, so yeah, I think Kepka's in much better shape than people kind of think he is. And this is a really, I feel like he might, this is the kind of guy that just takes any imaginary slight. Also, I have a sleeper deep, deep down the board. If we're going to go, not for a win, but for like a top 10, top 20 kind of play, if it's going to get wet and it's going to be a bomber's paradise, Keith Mitchell. That is deep. The dude hits the crap out of the ball. But more importantly, TPC Sawgrass is built around those like long style par fives. Keith Mitchell is sixth on tour this season and par four scoring average on par fours between 450 and 500 yards. And he finished in the top 12 at Pebble, um, Phoenix, and Arnold Palmer. In a, like, or not, Pebble, Phoenix, and Honda right in a row. And he struggled at the API this week, but he still made the cut. So Keith Mitchell is a guy that if it's going to get wet and long hitters are going to play, he's a great ball striker. He plays par fours really, really well, and he's in really good form outside of the weekend this past week. He's a guy that if, if, if 15, 16 under winds up winning, it wouldn't surprise me if he's sniffing around the bottom of the top 10. Yeah, that's a deep sleeper. I hadn't looked that deep necessarily, but I, I didn't do, expect it. I do have some sleepers. Hit me. One, one kind of. If it's rainy, this one kind of doesn't. It, it's not going to work for me. Abraham answers is my guy. You know that. Yes, he's he's accurate, but he's he's just so short. He's so short. It's ridiculous. I wish he mm-hmm. was longer. But he's just – if it gets wet and it turns into bombs, it, he just doesn't really stand a chance because he's going to be 20, 30 yards short of all these guys on a lot of these holes. I mean, he he played pretty well in um, – at the 2019 players when it got wet, he finished, he finished 12th and he was 5th going into Sunday. And then he played really well at Augusta the year it was really wet when DJ won. Like Abe answer, he needs to be perfect is the issue. Like his margin for error just completely disappears when it gets wet and the the scoring gets low. But if his irons are on, the dude can score anywhere. Oh, I know. Abraham answer is I've been keeping up with him forever. And he's just he's just so fundamentally good, I feel like. Like he's mm-hmm. not he's not bad at anything. He's a stupid accurate driver, at least was last year. He's like like top seven or top ten and and driving accuracy, he's super good with his irons when he wants to be. He's he can putt. I mean, he's everything you want in a golfer. He's just he just short, and it, it works to his disadvantage sometimes. I'll just bounce it back over to you. We can kind of alternate, I guess. Is there you can just talk about some more of your sleepers? Yeah, um, I guess another one. I'm kind of trying to keep a theme. I guess if I'm trying to go with way to predict this tournament i'm going to try and go with a bit of a theme if i think it's going to be wet i'm going to keep picking guys who are longer um thomas peters um is obviously he's been kind of known and um, like worshipped for his length a little bit uh he picked off the biggest tournament of his career in abu dhabi in january uh he won twice sandwiched around two top 20 two other top 20 finishes in like december january in, in europe and again, if, if it becomes a kind of a bomber's paradise, my only worry with Thomas Peters, he played at the Arnold Palmer last weekend. He was great at everything except the dude could not hit an iron to save his life. And that's like the most important part of your game at Sawgrass. 
So if his irons wake up, which he's typically a pretty good iron player, he's a very good ball striker. If his irons kind of return back to normal level and he kind of keeps the momentum he's had over the last few months, um, I think Thomas Peters could be a really good kind of guy to watch. I, again, both these guys are like, I don't know if I'd really quite pick him to win. It's it's really rare you get a winner that's not in the top 15 at the world at Sawgrass. But if you're looking for guys to round out like a top 10 pick or like a fantasy lineup, uh, I think Thomas Peters is kind of an underrated form. And if it's going to get wet and it's going to get long, he's really better suited for the most. Yeah, my next one is just strictly based off the course and it's Sergio Garcia. He's just, he's so good at TPC Sawgrass. Yeah. He's always mm-hmm. up there. I like... <laughs> He's. It, it was like him at the Masters for a while. He was just always there, whether he won it or not. I know he's one of the players, but he's just always up there. He's always top fifteen, top twenty. Obviously, he's not the longest, but I mean, he knows his course extremely well. Obviously, he's at, at plus nine thousand to win. And I mean, in the past few years, he's been a shoe in to go top twenty, top fifteen. So I mean, I think it's a pretty good bet. And then I'll just hit one more right here. Another kind of deep one. Is Keegan Bradley, you know, former, Ooh. former, he won the PGA championship, I think, former PGA champion. 2011. He's been, I was there actually. I was there when he won. Mm. But he's been, yeah, Atlanta he's, Athletic Club. Okay. Yes, in he's been inconsistent this year. He does have three top 15s, but he also has a couple of missed cuts, a couple very bad finishes. But he's, he's long enough. Him and Keith Mitchell are pretty much identical in driving distance. I was just looking at that. I mean, he's he's not bad in any of the strokes gained categories outside of putting. He's 165th in putting. He's 33rd in strokes gained off the tee. He's 32nd in strokes gained in a, his approach to the green. I mean, he's been good. He's been in contention in a lot of these kind of notable events, I guess you could say, over the past year or two. And I think he could put on a run this week. Yeah, I mean, I can't really, I can't really counter anything of what you're just saying. I mean, it's again, if we're going with like long ball strikers, I mean, if you need Keegan Bradley to make a putt to save your life, you might need to like sign your will away. <laughs> but like, if if you need Keegan Bradley to be long off the tee and straight and hit the ball well, the dude's one of the best on the planet. Um, so I got a game. I'm going to, I'm going to see if you can guess my next sleeper pick. Cause I think it's going to be kind of a bit of surprise of where he is on the board. Um, so this is a guy who is top 30 in both strokes gained off the green, off the tee and around the green this season. Uh, he led the tour in strokes gained putting last year. Uh, he has two top 15 finishes in this current wraparound season. And he has a runner up at this course and he's 55 to one. A runner up at the players. I, I feel like I know who led the turn the tour in strokes game putting last year. I just can't put my finger on it. Oh that was God. the one that I was worried you were gonna get. I was like, ah, if I say that one, you might get it. Oh, this is gonna kill me. He's also a top fifteen player in the world. That narrows it down. Mm-hmm. God. So top 15 player in the world, top 20 and two or top 30 and two strokes gain categories, two top 15s this season, uh, led the tour in strokes gain putting last year and a runner up at this course. Oh my God. And he's 55 to one. This is going to kill me. You're just going to have to give it to me. I can't think of it. Louis Oosthuizen. 
Oh my God. The best major player in golf history. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you, if you, granted, you cannot bet on him to win, he's going to finish oh, second. You if can bet, like you can bet him like, second and you'll, you're making bank. Oh, absolutely. He will finish second by one stroke and he'll break your heart. But all of those things factored together, the fact that he's 55 to one is insane. He's, I mean, this, like, he's, he, he shows up in big events, like you said. It's just so funny. He's always there and he just can't win. Oh my God. I remember he was like top five in all of them last like, year, wasn't he? He's like evil. He's like that's, evil Brooks Capital. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I remember we made our tier list and my tier for him was what was it? A tier in majors and B tier and everything else. And it was just Louis Ustazen. Yeah, it's like S, it was like S tier in majors and B and everything else. <laughs> it's like dude's insane. Um yeah, I mean, going down the board, and then I have one more. Uh, this might be more of a heart pick than anything else. Um, uh, Max Homa, um, he's got three, uh, four top 20 finishes in his last five events on tour, uh, including playing Phoenix, Riviera, uh, Arnold Palmer. Um, he's one of the best iron players on tour. He's really evolved into one of the best ball strikers, just period. Um, he's got one of the better attitudes on tour. Uh, and obviously a bit of a heart pick for me, big Max Homa fan. I have been for a few years now, but he's underratedly kind of become a pretty prototypical player for a course like Sawgrass. He's not short. I don't know if he's long enough, if he gets into a contest with like a Rory and a Hovland, if he's long enough to keep up. Um, but he's not short enough to the point where like it raining makes me think he's going to be ruled out. And he's just so precise and so good with his irons that I think this is a kind of course they could really buck his head at. Yeah. Homa's, I think everybody likes him. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like Homa. And I guess I'll give my heart pick. It's my guy, one of my favorite golfers, Dylan Fratelli. He can Mm -hmm. bomb it with with just about anybody on tour, but good God, is he inaccurate. He's gotten a lot, (laughs) he's gotten a lot better. Or not better. He's gotten he's been performing a lot better in the past three weeks. Actually made three cuts in a row for the first time this year. Which is big for him, has a top 26, top 16, and then a top 50. If he if he can just be accurate and just hit the ball straight, he could be good enough to make a run. We've seen him do it. He was top 10 at the Masters in November and then top 10 at the Open last year, I think. So we've seen him do it in big events, but it is just my heart pick. I do want him to do well. Don't think it will happen, though. And then we can. I mean, I got I got one last one that I just kind of thought of sitting right here. Um, uh, uh, he led the field in uh, strokes gained tee to green according to Data Golf last week. Uh, Corey Connors, the Canadian ball striking machine, uh, finished seventh here last year. Finished eleventh at Arnold Palmer despite topping a three wood into the water on six. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that clip or not. It was hilarious. Um, but and this he was he was in the wilderness for a while. Uh, last week was uh, he finished T11. It was his first finish better than 38th since the Sony. Um, so he really kind of he kind of gutted it out for like two months or so. Really kind of felt like he couldn't find the club base. But uh, if he's kind of returned to his ball striking glory a little bit, this is another guy that, again, Sawgrass kind of demands precision and patience. And he's another one of those guys that I think really fits that mold. And he finished seventh year a year ago. Yeah, I like Corey Connors. 
I like him a lot. He he played pretty well in the Masters. I can't remember which one it was. They're just both running together in my head. But I know he, he had a hole-in-one at the Masters, did he not? He actually, looking at it, he played well in both of them. He finished 10th in November and 8th in April. So, Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're running together for a reason. <laughs> true, true. And then we'll move on to our second to last segment before we give our picks and any of the predictions we may have. We're going to do a fantasy lineup. We're just going to pick five golfers. Obviously, we could go for just, obviously, the top five, like top five in the world or whatever. I am going to try to switch it up a a little bit, I guess. Just pick one from, I guess, not each tier, but just not go from the top five. But I'll start with you. We'll just go. You'll pick one, and I'll pick one. So you can just start out with whoever you want to. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll kind of keep your same attitude with the whole tiers idea. Um, I don't have the DraftKings pricing in front of me, so I don't think this lineup is going to wind up conforming to their budgetary ideas, but I'm going to try and keep it tier to tier. Um, and then, first of all, I'm going to go super, super bold. I'm going to pick the dude that I that is the betting favorite at the top of the board. I'm going to pick Colin Morikawa. Uh, I think he's basically built in a lab to play TPC Sawgrass. Um, he's... And then again, I, I looked this up earlier. Uh, if I mentioned the point about the par four, par four scoring average on those longer par fours, he is out of the players in the field this week. He has the best scoring average, the best birdies or better percentage, and the best RPT score on par fours of 450 to 400 yards. He's the best iron player in the world. He's the best long iron player in the world. And this is the kind of course that he's really kind of built to succeed at. Yeah, that's a bold one right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow it up with something nearly as bold. I'm going to go with Justin Thomas, the defending champion. I feel like he always plays well at this course when he does play here. He, I, This is basically just me betting on him to play this course well again. I feel like he's gotten longer, and he's obviously built to play this course well. But, I mean, there's not much going into this pick other than he won it last year, and I'm just confident in him again this year. And then I'll just stay right here, and I'll pick my second one. And I'm going to go with Will Zalatoris. God, he can't putt worth a crap. But he is he can bomb the ball, which is going to help him this week if the weather holds up. He really just needs to putt like an average 18 handicap golfer, and he could win. He is just so <laughs> bad at putting. It is ridiculous. But if he, can, if he gets to the point where he's draining putts like we saw – he, I mean, he was making an, enough putts at the Masters last year to get him second place. If he can just drain putts at half that rate, he could – I mean, he's one of the best golfers in the world already. He would just be on a whole different level if he could make some putts. Yeah, he's a really weird tier of putter where, like, inside five feet, he's, like, the worst PGA Tour player I've ever seen. But, like, outside 40 feet, he's, like, one of the best 50 putters on tour. It's, like, really, really weird. It's like the further he gets from the hole, the more comfortable he is. Dude, but, I, um, I've always pulled for Zalatoris. Or not always pulled. I mean, I kept up with him a little bit on the Corn Ferry. And I did pick him at the top debut or whatever at the Masters last year. And obviously, he lived up to that. But, man, I want him to be able to putt. Golly, he can't putt. <laughs> no, no, he can't. He can't even pretend to putt. It's it is really, it is so frustrating. I remember me and you talking about it at what tournament was it? The Sony, where he missed the same part twice. The Farmers, golly, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to watch on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it is. It is so disappointing. 
it like you just want to watch you want him because you you always fool yourself and this is someone coming from someone i have rooted religiously for rory mcelroy for the last like 12 years of my life you always think that the next four footer is going to be different and it's like the, the feeling you get in your stomach when it's like this was a moment ago zalatoris for par and it's like no <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> you just know what's coming and it's so disheartening um but yeah i mean if he could he doesn't even need to putt with the way he ball strikes though and he's he's the kind of guy that like scheffler he's you feel like he's gonna keep hanging around keep hanging around and just picks off a huge one for his first win um so i mentioned in this tier matt fitzpatrick is sitting right there and we talked about how well he's playing this year and he's perfect for this course i'm probably really gonna regret not picking him as my tier two guy but I'm going to go with the name right under him. I'm going to go with Sung J.M. Um, as my second guy. Uh, he kind of showed up a little bit. He shot 68 at Arnold Palmer which was the on Thursday, which was the only day the Greens really had grass on him um, at Bay Hill. Uh, he has uh, four top 10s and two other top 20s this season on the PGA Tour. Uh, he's hasn't played super great over the last month, but he's a ball-striking machine. He's super consistent. He just plays all the time. Um, and for a guy who kind of struggled out of the gates when the tour came back from COVID, um, outside of Sony and Honda, he has pretty much been consistent everywhere he's gone. And he's another one of those kind of players that's just very, very he's long enough to contend if the weather gets like hard. But he's also just precise enough that I feel like he's, he's kind of built for sawgrass. Yeah, my next tier, I'm going to go with. My sleeper from earlier, I'm going to go with Sergio Garcia. Always plays this course well. He's He's been pretty good off the tee this year. He's, I mean, he's not super long. He's averaging 305 yards per drive. That's about 50th on tour around there. But he's been extremely accurate this year. He's he's top he's top five in strokes gained off the tee. Which, I mean, you can't ask for, for much more out of a guy like Sergio <laughs> he's Mr. TPC Sawgrass, in my opinion. He's, he balls out here. Um, he has, like, one bad finish, one or two bad finishes here. Other than that, he's just cast money. So, I think you have to go with him, at least in a fantasy lineup like this. But who, who are you picking in Tier 3? This imaginary and tier by the And, by the way, if you think – by the way, I'm absolutely writing these lists down, and I'm going to give I'm gonna give you crap if I beat you on oh, Sunday. Oh, I was planning um, on doing my the same thing. <laughs> Perfect. I got. I already got them written down. Um, man, I guess it's hard because now I'm getting in the kind of range where I've already hyped up a few different guys. Um, if we're going for like a fantasy style lineup and I want a high floor, um, man, um, I'm gonna get. I'm staring at Louie, and I'm gonna regret not picking Louie. But I'm, I'm gonna go with Corey Connors. I'm gonna sub him into my lineup. I think he's consistent. I think he's got the ball striking. I'm staring at him, and I know I'm going to regret picking M and Connors. Like, now that I've picked M and Connors over Ustazen and Matthew Fitzpatrick, you can book Fitzpatrick and Ustazen to be one and two on Sunday. But And then for my fourth, uh, I guess I'm back in front of the snake format. Um, for my fourth, let me examine this tier a little bit. Um, you know, for my fourth, I'm actually – I'm actually going to go with two, I guess, fifth-tier guys. They're both a bit lower. Um, but I'm going to go with two kind of fifth-tier guys to round up my lineup. Um, 
first, I, I obviously touched on him before. So uh, Keith Mitchell, I'm going to steal him uh, before you can grab him. Um, and then I have a fifth guy that's from way down deep, if you don't mind me going twice in a row. But if not, I'll let you round out yours because I don't want to steal him out from under you if you're thinking about him. Uh, you can go ahead and finish yours off. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a guy who's been sneakily playing some of the best golf in the world and is a really, really good ball striker. Uh, I'm going to go with Cameron Young. Um, the dude showed all the game in the world on the Corn Ferry Tour last season, won twice in a row, uh, won in some really bad conditions, uh, nearly picked off an inform Joaquin Neiman at Riviera, um, finished top 10 or top 20 again at Honda, uh, was top 10 through uh, Friday at the Arnold Palmer. Uh, I think he's really playing some great golf right now. And for a guy who's 160 to one to win the tournament, he feels like a pretty good fantasy play. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, you stole that one right from oh, under me. Damn it. You can take you can have him. I stole your turn. No, 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 no. You can have him. Uh, we're getting to the tier where you just don't know who to pick. And I'm at the point where mm-hmm. I do not know who to pick. You know, there's not really gonna be much thought put into these picks right here. Thirty-four thousand. You scrolled one. way down the board. <laughs> you scrolled way down. Holy crap! I'm getting desperate, Ryan. I'm getting desperate. I'm getting desperate. You know, thirty-four thousand on one. Let me just let me just make sure I'm I'm thinking he's doing what he should be. Cameron Champ. I feel like he could. You know, I'm getting I'm getting desperate here. Getting desperate. You know, not playing good golf right now. His best finish this year is a tie 46. That's pathetic. He's 36 in short skiing off the tee. He leads the tour in driving distance this year. He's accurate enough. He's about half of his fairways. You know, I'm really – if it turns into a bomber's paradise, having the number one guy in driving distance could help me somewhat. I just need him to be accurate, which, you know, obviously has not been a strong suit. I'm a big camp champ believer. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare that a guy wins three times in his first three seasons on tour and feels like he's not getting enough fanfare, but camp champ, camp champs legit. He needs it. He, he has like one, he needs to figure out the wedges a little bit more to really get consistent. But like once he does, and I feel like it's inevitable, he's going to be a top 10 player in the world. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, for my last one, I'm going to move back up the board. I'm going to go with a lefty. I'm going to go with Brian Harmon. Former Georgia Bulldog. Also from the 912. Shout out Statesboro. Shout out Savannah. Just had to shout him out. If I remember correctly, he's played well at the players before. Let me just go and look at this list right here just to make sure I'm thinking correctly. I am going to go with – I'm picking him regardless. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's been he's been pretty good at TBC Sawgrass. God, if I can find him on this list. Brian Harmon. Yeah, there we go. I mean, he's tied third, tied third and tied eighth in his last two appearances at TBC Sawgrass. He's plus about 12,001, I think it was, 16,001. And it, he's a lefty. He's he's not super, super long, only averaging about 290 off the tee. But he's accurate enough. I feel like he plays well in tournaments like this. So if I'm going for a fantasy lineup, I would say I'm not picking a winner down here. Or at least I don't think I'm picking a winner down here. I'm going to go with a guy like Brian Harmon, who I think can, can 
can just stay there and kind of just throw his name in the top 15, top 20. Yeah, no, I mean, again, like, Brian Harmon finished eighth the year that it got wet in 2019, so he's clearly got the game and the affinity for Sawgrass. He, he can stick around when it doesn't really feel like he should. And this is another guy, like, he nearly won the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills, which is the longest course they've ever played. Like, this guy can this guy can play when it's long. Yeah, for sure. One other name I do want to mention, I don't think he's going to do anything. I've just been seeing his name a lot this week and a lot of betting stuff. Henrik Norlander at plus 55,000. I don't know why his name's been coming up a lot, but he's just been – if you read any articles, just like how to bet the Players' Championship or whatever, he's up there for a lot of these guys. But I guess we can just move on to our last segment, which is where we're going to pick our winners and make any other predictions we'd want to. I'm going to let you start because I really haven't decided who my winner is yet. So who do you have winning this week? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, – I don't know if you're a no-laying-up fan. I'm going to do the Tron Carter special and pee on a few guys before I really kind of mark my ter- territory. Um, I guess the main kind of qualifier I used, again, we're going on distance, but if we're going on the par-4 scoring average, going on longer par-4s, um, the three best players in the world on those 450 to 500-yard par-4s in that long iron play are Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, and Cameron Smith. And those are probably the three guys that I see as having the easiest easiest path to a win this week. Um, and out of those three, I think Sawgrass tests your mental mental game and tests your ability to kind of survive a break and make the putt when you need to make it the most. And Colin Morikawa, to me, has the best mental game on tour. And he's the kind of guy where even though he's a terrible putter, I feel like he's always managed to summon his greatest moments when he really needs to. Uh, he's, he's survived a couple bad breaks to win some tournaments before. Um, and I think he's got both the temperament and the game that's really just perfectly suited for Sawgrass. Um, it's, I wouldn't say forgotten, but last year he was really kind of contending on Friday until he dumped, dumped one in the water uh, down the closing stretch of, uh, I think, Friday afternoon. I think he was going for the green on 16 and just flared it. Um, but before then, he was only two or three back going into the weekend, I believe, maybe four. Um, so this is the kind of guy that has shown that he can kind of work his way into contention in Sawgrass before, and I think he's kind of built in a lab to play it. I know I've used that phrase before in the spot, but he's I, – I know chalky as hell going with a guy on top of the betting board, um, and I hate doing that. I always feel like – I always feel like I need to pick someone who's not on top of the betting board, um, but it just feels so right in my head, which means he's probably going to miss the cut. <laughs> I am going to talk about a few guys before I make my pick too. You hit on one of them, Cameron Smith, just an absolutely ridiculously good putter. God, that the round he had last year where he had, I think it was almost 18 putts for 18 holes, is just ridiculous. He's just so good putting. I think he's, he's top five or he might be number one in strokes game putting. And he's good enough with his irons to where it, it's going to help him a lot at a, at a, at a, course like tbc sawgrass another guy i want to talk about one of my favorite young golfers in the world has a chance at world number one this week victor hovland he's just been on a tear this year just top he tied second at arnold palmer tied fourth at genesis and won the hero world challenge i mean he's number three in the world he's plus 1700 i mean it's pretty self-explanatory my pick before the season started 
was Patrick Cantley to win the players. As much as I want to stand by that pick, God, I don't know if I am. Scotty Scheffler coming in on a heater could be a potential pick. A guy like Sam Burns, who I thought was going to have a huge – or I still think is going to have a huge breakout season this year. He's also going to be up there. You know what I, I am going to go – What did you say? I wanted to kind of hold your feet to the fire on Burns a little bit. He played well over the weekend, Arnold Palmer, but he'd been bad for like a month. Like he missed like four straight cuts. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was like, I know DJ is like just punching the air right now. It's not, it's not looking good for the Burns supporters over here. I picked, I also picked him to finish second in the FedEx Cup standings this year. So, who'd you have winning? John Rom. I had him going back to back. It's fair enough. It's it's hard, hard not to. Facts, especially the way he was playing. God, I just need. I, I still feel like I feel like we're due for like him just like winning a tournament by twelve. Oh, we are. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen, and we're just not gonna expect it. It might happen this week. I mean, he's he was really like, he was the best ball striker uh, over the course of the last two days on Arnold Palmer. So like, if he. He could if he could have made like a half of a putt, he would have been like top five at API. But sorry, I, I interrupted your pick. Who you got? No, you're good. Now, since you were talking about Sam Burns, God, his season. Just looking at his schedule, he started the season with a win, and then had six straight top twenties before missing three cuts in a row, and then getting a top ten at the API. You know, that's my guy. I'm just, I just need him to. He's seven in the FedEx Cup standings right now. I seem to stay up there. Make me look good for the season. I am going to stick with my preseason pick. I'm going to go with Patty Ice. I'm going to go Patrick Cantley to win the players. He's just – I just feel like he's ice cold in tournaments like this. He's just – he's – he. Had, like you talked about it with Morikawa, probably the best mental game on tour, which I would have to agree with. I don't think Cantley's that far off, though. I was at that at the, the tour championship last year. And just after Rom, Rom hit one in on 18, just put it right past the hole, had about 10 feet from the fringe, 10, 15 feet from the fringe. And Patrick Cantley just eased up to his ball in the fairway and put it within about 10 feet. And it was just, he's just so good in situations like this and tournaments like this. One of my favorite golfers also in the conversation for best in the world, in my opinion. So I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction. and I'm going to go Patrick Cantley. Yeah, it's funny. Pat Cantley was my preseason prediction, too, and I almost wound up saying it, but I was like, I feel like I've mentioned too many guys. Uh, and I'm like, DJ's going to get mad if I just pick, like, all the top <laughs> five players in the world and just mention them before he can. So, yeah, we had this, uh, you mentioned the Cantley preseason prediction. It's kind of uncanny, but no, he's – Cantley's playing some underratedly good golf right now, too. He just kind of – he didn't really do a whole lot in the Florida swing. He didn't really play. So, I feel like people are kind of forgetting, but, like, this guy went, like – fourth ninth fourth second through the like hawaii and the west coast swing like yeah i mean it's just hard to pick against any of these guys i mean i think we're both gonna hopefully we'll both have our guys up there so we have something to root for on sunday hopefully but i I am gonna go out here and i'm gonna guarantee that matt fitzpatrick is top 15 finish and i'm also gonna say that cam smith gets a top 10 finish i like those bets Oh man, now I get now I got to pick my locks. Um, let's see here. If we're gonna go with top ten and top fifteen locks, um, oh wait, whoa, nope, hold on. 
I had a, I had a, I had a sheet in front of me and I sorted it by name instead of the rankings <laughs> I had. That screwed me up. Hold on, click the wrong button. Um, all right, I'm gonna guarantee Hideki finishes in the top ten, and Corey Connors top fifteen. Oh, I like the Corey Connors pick. I really like the Corey Connors pick. I, I am also yeah. going to throw Patrick Green missing his fourth cut in a row in there as a guarantee. That would just make me happy. That'd be the icing <laughs> on the cake. I mean, his, his numbers are so bad. Dude, They're he's been so bad. horrible this year. Horrible. Right after he switched to PXG, which is like taking two birds with one stone, which I love. Dude, his, his best in, in all the strokes game categories, he's negative in four of them. And his oh, best his geez. best one is putting, and he's 76th on tour. He's 208th in strokes gained off the tee. It, it's just bizarre. I mean, it – hold on, wait. I want to see if I'm losing my mind first. He had – I don't remember if it was COVID or if it was unrelated, but he had a health scare late last year. He had COVID. It was the weekend yeah. of the tour championship. Yes, he that's fly. right. He had to drive to the tour championship. Yep, that's right. I remember that. Um, and he's been like underratedly terrible like since then. Like he finished second at Bermuda randomly, and then he played well at the Hero when nobody was there, and there was like fifteen people to play with. But like outside of those two weeks since the Tour Championship, he has two finishes better than thirty eighth. That's ridiculous, and he's missed three straight cuts, which is just yeah, brutal. Three straight cuts, which is brutal. And, I mean, again, so his only finish better than – I'm sorry, never mind. His only finish better than 32nd was the Tournament of Champions, which is like the 30-man field. <laughs> like, he's been horrendous. I know for, I know for people from oh, Augusta and Georgia, that's, it's, we love to see Patrick Reed not succeed. Also, his his burner account his burner account's been pretty active on Twitter the past couple of days. He used golf bags, yeah. I was ac- accusing Rory of like under the table collusion with the PGA Tour. Yeah. God, dude, <laughs> I I've never seen. I still think one of my favorite like golf tidbits of all time is that like the Augusta like the Masters YouTube channel on like had every single year the final round broadcast the thumbnail on every single one was like the winner wearing the green jacket and then for patrick reeds it was like the trophy and they had to change it the second everybody saw it but it was like they they so clearly didn't want him to win dude i was i was i was way down on 18 but i was on 18 when he won because ricky fowler was second place that's my guy ricky fowler ricky fowler lifer so i was pulling for him to miss the putt actively I mean, I am, I am again, huge Rory McIlroy guy. That that Sunday is one of the most painful days of my golf life. I still maintain. I tweeted. I tweeted about this last week. I still maintain to this day, if Rory makes that three foot eagle putt on two, I think he beats him by three. I mean, I don't think you're. I don't think you're. You have much of a reason to be wrong. I mean, it's just like for like he he was he teed off Sunday down three, and he could have walked off the second green tied that's just such a huge momentum swing and so it was just a downhill slog the rest of the way that that long birdie putty made on 12 was just an arrow to the heart also one of my i I think i mentioned this to you before that 
that final round from Spieth that day is the best round. The- yeah, I think we have talked about that before about Spieth's round. He kind of broke up right there, but yeah, we did talk about Spieth. Oh, my bad. No, you're good. Oh my! Oh my! Wi-Fi's held up through most of this conversation. It's been it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Um, I think that's all we have to talk about, really. I think so. Is there anything else that comes to mind with TPC? Um, not really. All right. We Perfect. can talk. We can do an over under on how many balls go into the water on seventeen on Sunday. Ooh. Um. You know, that's always kind of – I think it depends on how close the tournament is. I think I think if there are a bunch of guys kind of fighting for it, someone's going to take a fire at that pin. But I, I always take the under on balls in the water on Sunday. Every, everyone wimps out and goes for the middle of the green. It's a huge green. Like yes, you, it is. You, you, they talk about how big it is, but you, like, go in person. It's like a peninsula. It's not like a green. It's massive. <laughs> um, Did so. you see this? the shot spread they put out from last year's or it was just – Everybody oh, was either cool. on the green or like right or right there in the water, and then Brendan Todd was just like forty yards <laughs> to the right. <laughs> Brendan Todd, do you remember the Russell Knox shank like four years ago? I don't know if I remember that. He he, he it was like Saturday. He came to the tee like two back, and he hit it in the water trying to go for the green. Like he hit it, the ball bounced in the green, rolled off the back into the water, and he reteed for his third one. And cold shanked it so hard it nearly landed on 16. <laughs> like he was he was like looking down by the time his swing was finished. Oh it was God. the worst shank I've ever seen. I felt terrible. He made like a he made like a nine or something. Who was stupid. it? Who was it last year? I think it was ah, I'm gonna get him confused. It was either Soon JM or Siwoo Kim. They hit like three or four into the water, just back to he just dropped from the same spot and just couldn't get it on the green. That sounds, up, like a, that sounds like a that sounds like a Siwoo Kim thing to do. And I have heard up, he ended up making like an eleven on the hole. I have heard that Siwoo Kim from this is again all allegedly things I've heard from like Twitter and like people who know people, but like I have heard that Siwoo Kim does not speak much English, but most of it is four letter words. <laughs> so I would. That's like yeah. Here it is. Siwoo Kim hits five balls in the water and score like runs up a thirteen. Dude, I mean, it, oh, was no, it was bad. It was in Memphis. It was in Memphis. Oh, was it really? Yeah. I remember one oh. of them did it somewhere, and I just remember it was so, so bad. Hold on. Wait. Because I, I remember this too vividly because they finally hit the green and everybody cheered. I remember <laughs> That's that. brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> was it Memphis last year? Yeah, it was Memphis last year. That that's, when, that's when Abe won, wasn't it? Yeah, it was when Abe won. My guy. Yeah, what a dude. That was a cool playoff, too. I was going to win that playoff. That that He had that one putt to win in the throat. Just lipped out. But, I that, mean, again, I will, I, will, I will always take an Abe win. Oh, as, a, as Abe's biggest fan, I will take an Abe win any day of the week. And I guess yeah, – I, I can't find it. I guess that's all we have to talk about. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the pod. Hey, man, thanks for having me. No I really problem, enjoy it. I will always take the chance to talk PGA Tour golf. Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna have you on at least four more times for each major. At least I'm already booking it into my schedule for all the majors. So I, I can't wait, can't wait. Well, we'll definitely have to keep up with the scores, and then when you come on for the mass, when we, when you come on for the Masters, we'll talk about how I won and 
we'll just talk about defending <laughs> my crown. But I do appreciate you coming on. Yeah, we we got we got five tournaments, so we can't possibly tie. So someone's got to win. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. Hopefully, we're gonna have one or two more this week—an NFL episode, an NBA episode. Y'all have to stay tuned for to the Twitter for that. But we will see y'all sometime this week.